grace, mercy, and God's peace be yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Today, we would like to take a look at that person who judged Jesus on behalf of the Roman government, Pontius Pilate. Pilate is remembered by us by that phrase, suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's repeated every Sunday. Pilate. Most of the information that we get from Pilate comes from the Jewish historian Josephus, another historian by the name of Philo of Alexandria. The Roman historian Tacitus writes about him. But of course, the greatest information comes to us from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And Pilate, of course, has been made memorable through the Apostles' Creed. In 1961, archaeologists digging in Caesarea unearthed a partial dedication stone. Part of it was scraped off, but there was enough that they could read. The name Pilate was very, very clear. The dedication would have read, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, presents the Tiberium to the Caesareans. This was what many acknowledged to be the first archaeological evidence that Pontius Pilate existed. We know, of course, he did. We have the historic writings of the Gospels and others, but this gave him a place in history. And this Tiberium, we're not sure. It was some sort of building, uh, many of which we still have today. Pilate served as the prefect or governor of Judea for 10 years, 26 to 36 AD. By the way, this was the second longest governorship, a bit of a testimony to the type of governor that he was. And of course, we know him from the trial of Jesus. As we talk about Pontius Pilate, probably the most important thing to look at are three events that shaped Pilate for when he had Jesus stand before him. Three events. One, shortly after Pilate arrived, it came time to change the cohorts around. He had five cohorts in Judea, and they moved them around. Well, he moved one called the Augustan cohort into Jerusalem. They hadn't served there before, at least not since they had been given a special award. This special award was for service they had done to the emperor, they were rewarded with a special classification. They could be called the Augustan cohort, but they were given these medallions that had the emperor's face, his bust, you know, the image graved into it. These large medallions among the other regimental standards. Somehow, Pilate and the captains knew that it might cause an issue, so he had them march in at night into Jerusalem under cover of darkness. Well... They still were found by those that were able to look down into the courtyard of the temple Antonia from the temple, from servants that worked in Pilate's headquarters. But it was found, these were there, and it spread like wildfire. The Jews had a fit. This was an abomination, graven images clearly forbidden by the first commandment. And so they gathered together and protested right there in Jerusalem. The tribune said he could really do nothing. They would have to go to Caesar, or not to Caesar, to Pilate. Pilate was at the capital of Caesarea. And so this large crowd, thousands, gathered and marched down to Caesarea to face Pilate. 
They presented their objections. Pilate listened and said, no, they will not be removed. It led to a five-day demonstration. The crowd just grew. It got more rambunctious. And so finally, at the end of that five days, Pilate said, listen, we will judge this. He had this portable dais, this platform that he would take around. It was the judgment seat. He said, I will meet you in the stadium in the south side of town. So they all gathered together into the stadium. Meanwhile, he had his soldiers gathered there too, many of them in plain clothes and disguised. He gathered with them. He met with them. He listened to them. And then he said, they will not be withdrawn. They started to get rambunctious. Pilate gave a signal. He says, now you are to leave and disperse. And he gave them some time to do it. They went nowhere. And so finally, Pilate gave a second command and the soldiers came out. And instead of the confusion and everybody trying to leave, the Jewish men all fell to the ground and bared their necks. They said, we would rather die than bear this abomination in Jerusalem. Pilate's bluff was called. And so Pilate immediately called a timeout. Thinking quickly on his feet, he commended the Jewish men and he said he had to test their spirit. And then he announced to them the grace and the clemency of the emperor Tiberius. And he said that these Roman standards with the image of Caesar would be withdrawn from Jerusalem. He tried to save face. He tried to sound magnanimous. It was a big defeat. Pilate thought he would try to work with them. So much for bipartisanship. That was the first issue. Sometime later, as Pilate made his travels around Judea to see what the needs were, one of the things he noticed was that the city of Jerusalem desperately needed a better water supply. And so he looked at for, to try to solve this problem, and he, he came up with a solution with his architects, and that would have been an aqueduct that would bring the water in from Jerusalem. The problem is Jerusalem is a city set on a hill. That's a hilly area. How do you import water through that? They had some studies done. He could do it, but they couldn't afford it. And so Pilate talked with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, tried to come together how they could, how they could build this aqueduct and to assist them to bring water into Jerusalem. They were aware of a lot of money that wasn't getting used. All of the tithes and offerings that came into the temple, there was always money left over, and so Pilate addressed that. And of course the Jewish leaders say, no, you can't touch that, that's sacred money. Pilate says, the water is to wash sacred vessels. They sort of bantered back and forth. In the end, they came up with some sort of agreement that they would help fund this aqueduct, this water system for Jerusalem, with some of the temple funds, but the people must not find out. In other words, they had to have, Pilate had to bear the liability because they wanted deniability. Pilate said, what could go wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, they built the aqueduct. What a blessing it was. And actually, he had the water come first to the temple and then from the temple onto the rest of the city so that all of their needs were met. But somehow, the people found out, and guess what? Another riot. People gathered, they complained. 
Pilate came to Jerusalem and he met with them and he told them, no, the money will not be reimbursed. For one, they had no money to reimburse. They needed the money. But also it benefited the people and Jerusalem. And so Pilate simply said, no. They stayed there. They gathered. They were beginning to get very rambunctious. And so again, Pilate had his soldiers in plain clothes fan out among the people. He gave the orders to disperse. They went nowhere. Now, Pilate didn't want a lot of bloodshed, and so he had his soldiers armed with clubs. At his order, they were to club the people and drive them out of the courtyard. Well, what he didn't count on was overzealous soldiers that had more than clubs. They brought their swords, and so as they began clubbing and driving the Jews out of the courtyard, some of them unsheathed their swords and began swinging. Pandemonium broke loose. Many were killed both by the sword and by being trampled and trying to get out. This massacre was definitely a black eye on Pilate's administration. And then we get to the third event. Now we're getting closer to this whole event of Jesus' trial. And this was another one that took place in Jerusalem, similar to the first. Some politics had taken place back home in Rome. The head of the Praetorian Guard, Sejanus, whom had recommended Pilate for his post, fell into disfavor, was accused of treason, and executed by the emperor. So now Pilate was sort of standing on quicksand. He and many others were scurrying to try to prove their loyalty to the emperor by one means or another. Pilate decided to have some large golden shields made with a simply a dedication to the emperor. Now, golden shields in Jerusalem, Solomon had those a thousand years before. They were taken away by an enemy after Solomon died, replaced by bronze shields, but the precedent was there. And Pilate made care, took great care to make sure that there were no images, just words of dedication, nothing religious. But this was Jerusalem this was the holy city. This was the city of the temple. And the Jews took their law seriously. They found out about that again through people who worked within the local headquarters of Pilate. They appealed, first of all, to the tribune and to Pilate to remove these. Pilate met with them. Pilate refused. Herod Antipas somehow worked his way in, even though this wasn't his jurisdiction, but he was trying to be a good, or at least look like a good, law-abiding Jew. And so he kind of came in on the fray with Caiaphas and the priest. Pilate refuses. They will not be removed. And so they said, then we will appeal to Caesar. They went over his head. There was really nothing Pilate could do. Pilate really didn't want that. He couldn't fight it. He couldn't give in because then to remove those shields would be an insult to the emperor. Well, they went over his head. And as I said, some politics had been taking place in Rome. Sejanus had been outed and executed. Sejanus had been very much anti-Jew. He had driven the Jews out of Rome. So now Tiberius is bringing in a new wave. He was trying to welcome the Jews back into Rome. And it was a very pro-Jewish atmosphere throughout the kingdom. And then he gets this appeal that Pilate 
is insulting the sensitivity of the Jews. Now you have to realize that these communications take months to get from Jerusalem to Rome, Rome back to Jerusalem, but eventually Pilate gets a letter of rebuke, of rebuke from Tiberius. Have I not told you to respect the sensibilities and traditions of the Jews? So what do we have now? We have Pilate on probation. Three strikes. One, the Roman standards. Two, the temple funds for the aqueduct. Three, the golden shields. Three strikes. And as we said, the religious Jews in Jerusalem do not forget a thing. These three events are going to help us understand why Pilate acted as he did in Jesus' trial. You know, it seemed as if Pilate really wanted to set Jesus free. He kept, they brought to him, he kept saying, as we listen, what are the charges? And the Jews would all of this, that he offends, he does this. There were no charges. Pilate's a judge. He's expected them to say, A, B, C, this is what he did. It wasn't forthcoming. And so he talked with Jesus, but half the time Jesus wouldn't answer him. Pilate really wanted to be just, it seems. Although we might say, on the other hand, he believed Jesus to be innocent, but he had no qualms turning him over to his soldiers to be whipped and abused. I'm not sure what kind of judge would do that. But see, here's the deal. The crowd was threatening the peace. Pilate was on probation. And then the Jews pulled their ace out of their pockets and they said, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. My friends, that wasn't just a phrase. That is an official designation. When Pilate received his appointment as governor, he also received the designation in Latin, amicus Caesar, friend of Caesar. That was an important card in your pocket friend of Caesar. Now, he was sort of standing on quicksand. His status with Caesar was uncertain. And now these Jews that wanted nothing to do with Caesar when he had the standards and the shields, all of a sudden they're saying, oh, we have no king but Caesar. You kind of get the picture that Pilate would have liked to punch some faces in right there on the spot, but he couldn't. But when they pulled out that ace and said, we have no friend but Caesar, and if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Pilate is thinking of his friend of Caesar status. He's thinking of his governorship. He's thinking of his letter of rebuke. And it was all over. That was it. It was a veiled threat, but they knew what they were saying. Pilate knew what he was saying. This whole thing about the hand-washing, That was simply a desperate attempt by Pilate to appear to be in charge. He wasn't. To appear not to be liable. He was. But Pilate, seemingly, had no choice but to cave into the Jews. The table had already been set. Pontius Pilate. And then... We read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and especially John gives us a beautiful description, perhaps the longest. But one thing we notice about Pilate, Pilate was very much a 21st century man. I'm not talking about the hand washing, and we don't know if he said the Lord's Prayer or Luther's morning prayer while he washed his hands. 
But he was very much a 21st century man when he was questioning Jesus. And Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. And you and I wouldn't understand what Jesus is saying. Isn't Jesus the same one that said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And nobody goes to the Father except through me. He says, I came to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate, remember what he said? (laughs) What's truth? What's truth? We're dealing with keeping the peace, power, keeping my neck. There are more important things than truth. No right and wrong. See, that is so modern. We're surrounded by that in our society and culture. What is truth? People say, don't force your truths on me. There's no God. There's no rules. I'm right. You're right. He's right. The interesting thing here is, but you Christians are wrong. You know, when they say that there are no absolutes, but one absolute happens to be, but don't bring God into it. That's the one absolute they, they agree on. But nothing else. Everything, it floats. See, Truth. Society and culture, no, they they talk about truths, but they conflict. Everything is true. It's whatever you want it to be. Society says everyone establishes their own truth values. You have no right to judge. And then Jesus says, I came to testify to the truth. And here's the truth. God is the creator. We are the rebellious created, the fallen, and we fall under God's judgment which is his justice. Sin is our very nature. It's not just what we do, it's what we are. It's this inherited sin from the very beginning, from the very first parents that rebelled. It is the problem of humanity, sin. And this is what we would say absolute truth. In other words, it is absolutely true for all time. It never changes. That's what absolute truth is. Here's more absolute truth. God must punish sin. Every sin is an offense against him, and we cannot pay for it. That is also truth. Absolute, eternal truth. See, like modern man, Pilate would like to brush all this under the rug and say, yeah, but I got to keep the peace, and I got to be a friend of Caesar. His truths are different, but see, here's the thing. His truths aren't truths. We misappropriate the word when we call everything a truth. A truth is something that is true, verifiable for all times. God. God is true. And he tells us that. In his word, see, God's word is God's revelation to us. People try to say, well, that, that's, that's man's record of a search for God. No, that's other religious writings. The scriptures, it's not man's search for God. You, we could say it's God's search for man. It's God calling us back to him. It's God revealing himself to us. He even reveals to us about our sin, our broken nature, how we are split from God, and how God is trying to call us back. That's the truth. And when we speak about truth, I love this verse. From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, St. Paul says this. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Think of that scene of Jesus. We have taken him through the judgment, Caiaphas, Herod. We've looked at the thieves. We look at Judas and Peter. Now standing before Pontius Pilate, the last step before they took him to Golgotha, 
and the cross. We see Jesus. Jesus, and in him, God is reconciling the world. In other words, God is setting things right. And how does he set things right? He has to punish sin. That's how you set things right. Sin must be dealt with. And so, in Jesus, God is punishing sin. Over the millennia, many people have attributed blame to a lot of different people for the crucifixion of Jesus. They blame the Romans. They blame the Jews. You know, as I was growing up, I was always taught this. I am the one to blame. I am the one that put Jesus on the cross. And isn't that the truth? You and I are the ones that put him there. Don't pass the, the blame on to somebody else. They were bit players. You and I are the ones that put him there because of our sin. But Jesus went willingly. Jesus went willingly because he is the savior of the world. Now we need to point out, Jesus is not just the savior of Christians. He is the savior of all sinners and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is the savior of the world, of all people, okay? It doesn't matter what religion, what philosophy, whatever. He is the Savior of all. This has been said many times. Don't try to think it through, but if you'd have been the only sinner on earth, Jesus would still have gone to the cross for you, for me. And that is the absolute truth. Jesus Christ on the cross in your place, in my place, when he walked out of the tomb, our sin was paid for. The power of sin over us was defeated. And he made us his children through faith, clinging to Jesus Christ by faith. Justice is served. Sin is paid for. That you and I can stand before God and he can look at us and he can say, enter into your kingdom, faithful servant. Because Jesus Paid for it all. That, that is the absolute truth. Our sin, God's salvation. Truth that you can count on. Always. Absolutely. Amen. And may our gracious God keep you in that truth. Keep you close to his son Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Amen.